from the courtroom to the tabloids. Welcome to All Rise, the podcast that lets you be the jury. All Rise swears to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Your host, Dylan Howard. It's been a big week in Hollywood. The end of a very short era. Roseanne Barr, her TV show Roseanne, dumped from the ABC schedule because of a racism scandal. A twist on that tale on All Rise. Tom Arnold, her ex-husband. Why am I talking about him? AJ Benza from Fame is a Bitch, the popular podcast on iTunes, will be with us to discuss the actor and his pursuit of Donald Trump. Plus, why get married in Hollywood? Two bitter divorces dominating headlines. Britney Spears and her ex Kevin Federline set to square off in court. Britney under oath. Depositions about parenting. And Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Why they are still feuding almost two years after the pair announced their divorce. This is All Rise, Episode 7, Season 1. Two high-profile divorces rocking Hollywood. And would you believe one of those divorces is some 11 years old? Britney Spears set to face off with her ex-husband Kevin Federline over child support. And in breaking news, Angelina Jolie is said to be livid that she can't travel with her six children amid a bitter custody battle with her ex-husband, Brad Pitt. Joining us on the line to discuss both of these is Dr. Catherine Smerling, a leading marriage and family psychologist, and Jacqueline Newman, a New York City-based divorce lawyer and the author of Soon to Be X, A Woman's Guide to Her Perfect Divorce and Relaunch. First to you, Jacqueline. Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. This couple divorced back in 2016, certainly announced their divorce, but this has been a drag-out, knock-them-down battle, and Brad and Angelina still can't come to terms on what to do with their six kids. Just how bitter is this divorce? You know, it's pretty bitter. I mean, what ended up happening was they really started battling because it, it started off with you know, the incident that happened on the plane where allegedly Brad Pitt was drinking and he was physical with one of the children. And that's really what started this off and made made the headlines that it made. Um, And then from there, they've been battling. I mean, they definitely have, but it seems that things might be calming down, I hope. Is it uncommon for a divorce like this to drag on some two years? No, it's pretty common. I mean, divorces take a long time. (laughs) Yeah. Catherine, why is it common? Uh, Well, often people with uh, two very high profile careers and high profile egos, as we say, um, can't uh, don't know how to compromise. And in the case of Angelina Jolie, not wanting to being livid that she can't leave the country. Well, you know, in many ways, she has to get over it. She has a co-parent. And she does have someone who has a say in what goes on with her children. And most likely she has been raising these children as she wishes to raise them. And now she has to face the fact that she has a legal co-parent. That often, I don't know how you feel about that, Jacqueline, but I see that 
that men who have not had much of a say in the way the children have been raised all of a sudden became become very involved in their children's lives when they're given a legal right to do so. I would absolutely agree with that. I mean, I think what ends up happening also is that a lot of parents, and if we're going to be a little sexist here, let's say a lot of fathers who aren't as involved, you know, now all of a sudden need to step up because they no longer right. have the mother doing what she was doing before and becoming the buffer. And right. they get to know their children in a way that they really just didn't before. In my in my um, experience, it has been a life-changing, a life-changing experience for those dads who hadn't had a full participation before. Brad was very active in the six children's lives. Of course, there's Maddox, Pax, Zahara, Shiloh, Knox and Vivian, the two twins that are the youngest of the brood at age nine. Now, Brad was very involved in their life. However, in light, as you mentioned uh, at the top of the program, Jacqueline, in light of that incident aboard the private jet, Angelina was attempting to limit the amount of custody Brad has had with his children. Now, they haven't been seen in public for more than 560 days, but my sources tell me that indeed Brad is co-parenting. He's spending time with the kids. The kids are spending time at his California mansion. How much would the court have placed on Angelina's demands that Brad supposedly and reportedly get sober in the wake of that incident? I think the courts would take it very seriously, but as I understand, Mm -hmm. he also took it very seriously. What I understand he did is he subjected himself to a full analysis and which is a very smart legal move and we say it to clients all the time like go get clean and make it very apparent go get tested have a third party come in and be supervising you and watching it because then you could submit that to the court and say you know what she says i'm a drunk she says i'm doing that but at the end of the day i've got a third party that's looking at this and saying that's just not true so that's really what he did and i think it was actually a brilliant move and obviously it's working because I've also heard that they are now co-parenting. And it's very interesting. But in the process of doing that, someone who has been drinking excessively really learns how to parent without drinking and learns mm-hmm. how, how to spend time with his kids and not use anger as a, as a form of parenting. So it becomes a learning experience. If you turn this around, it's really making lemonade into lemons, What could have a, which could have been a... If he had contested it, it would have been a very bitter road for him. But as Jacqueline so aptly said, he went along with everything right away. And it was very smart and very productive and very mentally accessible for him. Now, Britney Spears divorced in 2007. And when she said bye-bye to her former husband, Kevin Federline, she cut him a check for a cool $1.3 million. That's not all. He got spousal support for several years and to this very day continues to get child support for the pair's two children, 12-year-old Sean and 11-year-old Jaden. But that is not enough for KFED, according to the latest issue of Us Weekly, which reports that he's set to depose Britney Spears in this ongoing legal battle in a bid to rise his $20,000 a month child support. Now, Jacqueline, is this a money grab? I mean, yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, it is. I mean, at the end of the day, what he's doing is he's saying, you know, I need certain amounts of money to be able to maintain this, that, you know, maintain the lifestyle for my children. But the thing about this, and this is what this comes up a lot when you're dealing with these high net worth situations is that 
you know, if housing is being paid for, I'm assuming it is. And for him, he's got all these other children that I'm sure he's looking to have a house to be able to support all these other children and is looking to Brittany to help out with that. But all their general expenses, their private school, their extracurricular activities, their medical expenses, all of that is going to be paid for in addition to the basic child support. So what he's really looking for is more money for him. These kids are being taken care of. There's no way that these guys are starving and they're living very nice lives. And he just really wants to kind of piggyback on that. And I think that what also happens is that as people make more money and Britney Spears has had a, um, a show in Las Vegas, which has been quite successful for a number of years, the the spouse who is the, the not moneyed spouse becomes a little bit more more greedy and that feels like an equity to him or to her and so he's been told by some very clever lawyer and Jacqueline you know tell me if I'm right or not by some very clever lawyer that he could probably get more money because she has been so successful. I would agree with that. Let's not forget that she brought home 15 million dollars a year uh, for a four-year residency in Las Vegas to perform live. And perhaps K-Fed saw the, uh, the amount of zeros on that check and perhaps was a little interested. I wanted to ask this question. Kevin has six children in total. Two of those are to Britney Spears. Is it feasible that in this particular scenario, he's seeking child support to pay for those other children? Now, that wouldn't necessarily be kosher with the court. However, what sort of procedures or protocols are in place to make sure that the money would be spent on Britney's two children and not the other four kids? There's nothing really. I mean, that's the whole point is that you can't micromanage where the basic child support comes in. So what basically he would argue, and this is kind of what I was a little bit alluding to before, he would say, you know what? My children need a nice house. They need a pool. They need an elevator in the house. They need all these things because we want to have a comparative situation to where they live with their mother. So therefore... That would be fine if he only had two children. But being that he has these other four children, he's now in a situation where his house has to be that much bigger. He's not going to it's not like one half of the wing where the kids live are going to be so much nicer and the rest of the house won't Mm -hmm. be. And so that's what he's basically doing is he's trying to elevate the lifestyle for all of his children again on the on the back of the two children he has with Brittany. Dr. Catherine Smerling, what's the lesson to be learned here? If you're in Hollywood, don't marry. I I think I always advise counseling before you do get married. I'm doing a lot, a lot of counseling uh, for people, high net worth individuals who are about to get married or planning a marriage. And I have done that for a couple of years and more and more people are coming in to do that. And I applaud them. Because yeah, a great when work, idea. When you work out these things, as you're working out a prenup, if you work out your emotional problems, you're one step ahead and you know what you're getting into emotionally. Instead of getting married in the passion of the moment and not understanding all the complexities that go into making a relationship successful. And that's that's a way that you have to learn to navigate your dynamic. And most people getting married don't do that. And then I was shocked five years down the line or two years down the line. I'm going to take your advice, Dr. Catherine Smerling, and I'm also going to pick up a book of uh, Jacqueline's. I mentioned the uh, soon-to-be ex, A Woman's Guide to Her Perfect Divorce and Relaunch, but I'm more interested in this one. Soon-to-be ex for men, preserving wealth, fatherhood, and sanity during divorce from Jacqueline Newman. You can get those both on Amazon. Jacqueline and Catherine, thank you very much for joining us here on All Rise. Two very acrimonious divorces but two very, very interesting analysis from you two. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure.
Well, it's been rumoured for months in the media. And my next guest has been at the very centre of much of the scuttlebutt. And so have I. But this week, with an article in The Daily Beast, for the very first time, we learn about the existence of not only the Access Hollywood tape, but a purported tape, which is said to show Donald Trump, the President of the United States, in an altercation with his wife, Melania Trump. Now, let's be clear. There is zero proof that this tape exists. According, though, to the rumour mill, I pay $20 million for it. The man on the phone also was involved in a transaction. But now the conspiracy theory has been given voice by the left-leaning website The Daily Beast. And joining me on the phone to discuss that article and this supposed Trump tape is former New York gossip columnist and podcast extraordinaire, AJ Benza. AJ, thanks for joining us. Of course, buddy. How are you doing? I am very well, thank you. Now, according to this report on the Daily Beast, TMZ and its founder, Harvey Levin, received an email from a lawyer in Los Angeles during the election campaign claiming to have, quote, another bombshell tape of Trump in an elevator in Trump Tower. Now, the Daily Beast itself acknowledges that they've uncovered no proof that the tape exists after interviews with more than a dozen former and current TMZ staffers. Now, this is no surprise to you and I, because according to the armchair pundits, AJ, you and I conspired to take this tape off the market. Yeah. I mean, look, this whole thing, Tom Arnold broke this thing over the Thanksgiving holiday. And I remember driving back from up north and looking at my Twitter blow up. And then you called me and said, what the hell is this about? I said, I don't know. Tom Arnold's going crazy. Ever since then, we got a little closer to the uh, to the source. And really, it's Tom Arnold inventing this and hoping against hope that this is true. And somebody will produce it if he talks loud enough. I'll tell you what. He even got a TV show out of the deal. Well, that's what that's that's what I wanted to talk to you about because according to him, this tape exists. It doesn't. According to the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Bloomberg, BuzzFeed, all of whom called me, somebody paid $20 million to take this supposed tape off the market. Now Tom Arnold is going in search of the existence of this tape. AJ, does this tape exist? I I do not think it does exist. I don't think it I don't think it's ever been produced. If there is a moment in time where Donald Trump may have grabbed Melania's arm in a bit of, uh, not rage, but maybe in a bit of a, a moment, and maybe they're blowing this moment up into something that, that uh, resembles violence. But the way Tom Arnold talked about it, he talked about it being reminiscent of the Ray Rice tape. We're talking about like a, a beating. A, a you know. bloody beating. Yeah, but you know what he's done now? Now, see, what I, what I found ridiculous about the Daily Beast piece was that I don't think they put in, maybe it was like 15 or 20 paragraphs deep about how no one has seen this tape. And this is all only conjecture and, you know, we're trying to find it. But it took them a long time to say that. Of course, the headline said something completely different. So now they're trying to poke around and say that Harvey Levin at TMZ is somebody that uh, that that probably uh, found out about this, and and he was able to get it bought. This was what grates on me, though, AJ, and and you're you're a long time reporter who's been in the trenches and has worked stories like this. We as the media are now 
turning on each other. And the media is now reporting stories that other media organisations investigate and report that existence, that investigation, as a news story. Yeah, it's it's really it's so unfair. And 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 what the left has been successful at, as many as many times as they lie and try to prove something, what they've been successful at more than anything is, like you just said, having reputable papers and news sites write about other news sites. They created this this frenzy where we're fighting each other fighting one another. I remember back at the Daily News, as much as we were bitter rivals with the New York Post, before we put the paper to bed, editors from each paper would talk to each other and say, what are you going with? What's your wood? What picture are you using? How'd you do on the such and such story? It was a competition, don't get me wrong, but never were we out to, to, to hurt the other newspaper. You know, if you lost an editor or somebody was fired, you might get a kick in the ass in an article. But no one was trying to put somebody else out of business. Or, or worse than that, just tarnish their reputation completely. Don't get me wrong. I think that the details about this purported tape and the inner workings of what TMZ did is mildly fascinating. The fact that on October 13, a lawyer by the name of Melissa K. Dagadon contacted TMZ saying that she represented a client who had this tape and that Harvey Levin and the lawyer for TMZ then went to meet with her. The meeting was cancelled. If you read between the lines, though, in media appearances that Daily Beast people have been making in the wake of this story that hit on Monday night, the insinuation is that Harvey Levin bought this tape up. And the premise for that insinuation is that he got out of the office and went out pursuing a story in the field. Big deal. If a story's so big, I'd get off my ass and do it too. Sure. Yeah, they made a big deal out of them, um, out of them, out of them leaving and, and being told that, oh, in second thought, uh, the meeting's been postponed. Yeah, I know. It, it's something that we've all done. We've all chased ghost stories here and there. But that is certainly a story. Well, look, let me just say this. Ever since the notion that Trump was going to run was brought up, I had gotten calls from every newspaper uh, journalist you can think of, some of whom I didn't even like who wanted to befriend me because I, they knew I knew Trump to an extent, and they figured I have an inside, an inside uh, feel for, for some of the stories. But they, they kept coming and coming, and the shit that they... I got calls from um, the Washington Post, which to me is really doing a bad job on a lot of things, and I've given them quotes on something, and they've come back to me and said, that's a shitty quote. We're not going to use it. You know, you're being too friendly to the president. And I say... I don't give a shit what you think. You called me to help you out with your story. Now you're telling me my quote isn't good enough to, to satisfy your agenda? Is that what we're doing out of each other? What does it say about the media, though, that we are in this situation whereby reporters are now reporting about moves that other reporters are making? To me, this is a treacherous path to go down because... God knows, every media organization is now fair game. If AJ Benz is pursuing a story and he doesn't get it, is it a story that you pursued a story? Listen, I got news for you. Jimmy Rutenberg, who's a very good reporter for the New York Times, he's a kid that I hired at the news 20-some years ago as a stringer, and now he's a media columnist there. They're basically not covering anything, but they're, they're, they're crazy to find out what Ronan Farrell's uncovering for the New Yorker. And then they go ahead and, and go for the same story. I got an issue with that too, because Ronan Farrow wrote an, an article about the National Enquirer 
under the very same pretense, the very same pretense as this uh, particular article in the Daily Beast. And that was that we pursued a story that Donald Trump had a love child. Ultimately, we concluded the story wasn't true. But lo and behold, the New Yorker protested that this was an example of, quote, catch and kill. There was nothing to catch. There was nothing to kill. It was a rumor. Is this type of reporting an assault on journalism? Oh, I think it's one of a uh, one of several assaults on journalism. Absolutely. Not to mention the other assault is the the fact that these younger reporters now are just just chasing rumors. I mean, they just they just the Buzzfeed started it by chasing a rumor and then decided let's write about all the rumors we've heard about. And they came out with an article I think two years ago and eighteen months ago, which was simply. Here's the rumors out there, and they wrote them all up. And they got a lot of clicks, which is what matters more than anything nowadays. And that's the biggest problem, Dylan, is that these people are going for clicks, not for Pulitzers. They're going for clicks. Well, I think there are two sets of standards in the journalism industry in 2018. I think there is an insatiable appetite to try and bring down the president, whether you like him or not. My personal opinion doesn't matter. But there's also an insatiable appetite from those, particularly in the liberal left media, to try and bring down those that are also supportive of the president. My personal opinion is we have thrown out procedures and protocols and standards in pursuit of that agenda. And the report in the Daily Beast, the report in the New Yorker, and many other instances have blurred the lines between what is real, what is rumour, what should be reported, and what should not be reported. And I think that is an assault on the First Amendment and a major, major problem in uh, educating Americans about what really should be news and what really matters. It's, I, don't, I don't know what it's like to be in a paper. My nephew worked for, the, for California papers, um, Orange County Register and what have you, and he said, you know, he's more or less conservative, but he said, I can't even go to work because the people, that's the, the thing they say out loud in a newsroom about the president and about conservative people and the T-shirts they wear, and what's happening is people just wear their politics on their sleeve more than any other time I've ever seen. And arguments are started, friendships are ruined, uh, jobs are lost because you can't tell the line. And the line is, let's, let's try to knock down the president and the powerful friends of the president. So a couple of questions before we wrap this up. Uh, you mentioned Tom Arnold as the uh, person who created the rumor about the supposed tape or that the tape was purchased and taken off the market. That has now morphed into a Viceland series called The Hunt for the Trump Tapes with Tom Arnold. And according uh, to Viceland, the show uh, will be an exploration of Tom Arnold's pursuit as he uses his network of connections to search for, quote, the truth behind these elusive recordings of Trump. Now, you actually filmed for this show. Why did you do that? Given the absurdity of it, why did you do it? I can tell you why. I can tell you why I did it, because I'm in, I'm in uh, preliminary talks with Viceland to maybe, to maybe... Last December, I met with Viceland about their desire to possibly put my podcast on their channel in some capacity. So I had a relationship with the people there. I like the network, even though it's liberally slanted. But I said, you know, I could do something fun with this. And then they told me the premise. And the premise was, we want you to tell Tom how wrong he is. We want you to have an argument with Tom. The show is like a Larry, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm type show 
where Tom meets his friends and, and things happen organically. So while there's no script, my job was to, we went to a batting range and I just ripped him apart. I just told him how crazy he was and how wrong he was. And I had a good time doing it. And the people who ran the show loved it. They liked it so much that they've asked me, and this is, this is a, nobody knows this yet. They asked me to do a second episode, which is going to be me. They want me to stage an intervention with Tom because he's lost his mind. There's something about Tom that he knows he's gone too far. And he knows that what he's doing is crazy. He gets in this manic zone where he starts to believe his lies. And you've seen him in that zone with you and I together at lunch. But for I those those that don't got, know, AJ and I had l- lunch with him about a month or two months ago in which I sat down with to try and tell him rationally that I was not involved in the tape and I don't believe the tape doesn't exist, but it seemed to have gone in one ear and out the other. Perhaps that's because he doesn't have a brain. Right, right. But he, uh, he stormed out. And I think that um, from me talking to the executives there, they seem to uh, – it's a little crazy. They've seen that – now that they've seen – the, the full Tom Arnold and seeing what he feels and says and, and preaches, I think they, uh, well, they told me that I was a breath of fresh air on the show, my segment, and I think that's why they want me in again to do this intervention thing because um, they even said Judd Apatow is on the show and he provides a breath of sanity. And Judd is a complete liberal. So if Judd provides sanity, you can imagine where Tom's going with these thoughts. They asked me to go on it. And I said, absolutely not, on the basis that I just don't think, you know, I wouldn't have spoken about the the uh, two years of uh, dogged questioning that I've received about this supposed tape until the Daily Beast wrote about it, because I don't think that we should necessarily, as I've clearly articulated here, should we should be giving rise to this type of speculation and rumour. Dylan, you're, Dylan you're, you're much too high in the totem pole to go down and do a show like this. I. You, you, you should never be on these shows. You're, you're one of the best out there, and you're one of the guys who knows the most out there. So this is not for you. This is for guys like me and, and, and guys who, you know, I swim around. I'm in journalism. I'm in podcasting. I'm on TV. I'm doing, I'm doing a bunch of things. So I, got, I can do this. I'm like a free-range chicken. I can kind of go there and walk away. I get a kick out of it because I always come with stories. And I always pull a story out of it for the show or for an article. I get something out of it, you know. Um, but I don't. I think it's going to be more a tongue-in-cheek thing, and I don't think we're looking at a second season. I, I think uh, he's going to reach a bunch of dead ends on these. Uh, you know, the PP tape. This, he's looking for the Russian PP tape, the whore tape. He's looking for the the, the, the Melania punch out in the elevator tape. You know, uh, he's not going to find these things. I don't think they exist. But just on that, I want to play a quick game of rapid fire with you because according to Tom Arnold, uh, you and I have uh, been in the trenches for so long that we are sort of like Woodward and Bernstein, but the opposite of it. (laughs) I want to ask you these couple of questions. Did you and I purchase this tape of Melania getting beaten up by Donald Trump and take it off the market? Absolutely not. Did I hire you because you had, and I hired you for Radar Online, did I hire you for Radar Online as a reporter because you had a dirt file on Donald Trump and I, this lowly executive from Australia, didn't want that material out? Completely completely false. I never even pitched a Donald Trump story or was never assigned one. I did only Hollywood. Did I pay you hundreds of thousands of dollars compared to other reporters because you were sitting on this cachet of anti-Trump material? As I've told other people, of course you didn't. And I think for the amount of time I worked, I made less than 20 grand. So 
It must have been a tape of Trump tweeting, which is worth nothing. Were you hired because you're a friend of David Pecker, the chairman of American Media, the corporate overlord who oversees the website Radar Online that you wrote for? Never met David Pecker in my life. Never had a conversation with him in my life. No. Have you and Donald Trump shared sexual partners? Absolutely. Tell me more. We dated Kari Young. Uh, that was the, that was the one we both dated, um, and I think there's a few strays around there that we did. I actually think that Donald, I think Donald, uh, I dated that Stephanie Adams, the playmate who threw her baby out the window last month. I dated her, and I think Trump did too. So basically, the only truth that you've revealed here is that you're a horny <laughs> New York-based yeah. gossip reporter who happened to share sexual partners with Donald Trump. Big deal, yeah. That's a lot of us. AJ Benza, his podcast is exponentially better than this. You can catch it on iTunes. AJ Benza's fame is a bitch. You have to listen to this podcast. It's my Friday night ritual as I drive home. AJ Benza, otherwise known as one half of Woodward and Bernstein. Thank you very much for joining us. Take care, pal. Bye-bye, buddy. You know, AJ and I may make light of the scenario, but it really gets on my go. Journalism has descended into chaos during the Trump administration, perhaps because of the chaos that we see at the White House. But I think that the fourth estate, as an industry, needs to take a good hard look at itself and really take stock of where we've got to as an industry. It is frightening to me. It is frightening to many. And it was good to chat to AJ Benzer about that. This has been All Rise, Episode 7, Season 1. Don't forget, you can subscribe on iTunes and Google Play. We'll be back next week with the podcast, the only podcast, with the guts to tell it like it is. 